going to start with a reading from John's Gospel. It actually picks up uh, right where we left off last week, which was talking about abiding in God's love. And so we're going to move into then, after reading the scripture, we're going to talk about the largest hole in the ground ever dug by human beings. All right? It's called the Cola Superheat Borehole. I know you're really excited about that. And the hope is to look at this super deep borehole and see um, how it informs us of informs us of God's deep love for us and Jesus' command that we love one another better. So let's pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Here it is from John 15, 9 to 17. You good? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which are the chosen one bring people into glory. How deep is the Father's love for us? That, that was exactly when, so I asked him if he would just play that chorus for us because I think it sets the kind of stage pretty nicely. Um, and so I was interested in uh, something to compare the depth of God's love to. Um, and so literally, like, into, into Google, I just said, what is the deepest well on earth? Because I wanted to know. And I came up with this cola super deep borehole. Has anyone even heard of this thing? I don't think it's, yes? Oh my gosh. Yeah, where have you heard of it? Okay, this thing's pretty cool, right? So, I'm so glad. Gosh. Um, and so, any idea how, do you remember how deep it is? I don't, I don't know how deep it is. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you. 
This is, all right? That's what I'm here for. All right, because if there was someone, like, if you know more than I do, I'm just going to, we'll trade places. Okay. All right, here's how deep it is. 12,262 meters. And if you want to know that in miles, it's seven and a half miles deep. Okay, seven and a half miles. And so Russian scientists, they started digging the coal is super deep in 1970. They dug a nine inch, it's the most, it's so funny, it's only this big around, okay? Um, it's like it looks underwhelming. When you see it from the surface, it's just a little plate that covers it. Um, they dug the hole, a nine inch diameter hole, for 24 consecutive years. 24 years they drilled into the earth. And the goal was to try to drill all the way through the earth's crust in order to get to the earth's mantle. Right? And so they wanted to be able to study it. So they discovered a few things when they were down there. There was water down there, which is absolutely amazing. That deep, there were fossils and super hot temperatures. So hot that their drill bits just started melting. Um, and they just gave up. After 24 years of digging the world's largest well, they just gave up. They sealed the hole for good. And of course, my like junior high guy brain was like, who would not want to drop a penny down that <laughs> Just wait for it. Wait for it. How long would it take? I mean, this is the stuff I'm thinking about, you know? And so, this is the, the real point, <laughs> not bad. Um, 24 years of dr drilling, seven and a half miles deep. How close do you think they got to the center of the earth? Any guesses out there? All right, Andrew, Andrew says less than 1%. Anybody else? All right, here we go. You ready? This, this kind of blew me away. Like, I expected better than this. 0.002%. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Andrew gets the gold star. Um, and so that is roughly 3,993 miles away from the center of the earth. That's how, that's how little they did in 24 years. Um, it's the furthest that humankind has ever drilled down in the earth. This well has actually seen water that no other well can even come close to, right? So how deep is the love of God? Is it like, you know, cola, super deep, borehole deep, or deeper? You know, I mean, these are the kind, this is the way my mind was going. Like, do we have anything that can even compare to this scripture that we just read? And so last week, this is a continuation of last week. They, they go together, and so some things appear a second time today that we talked about last week, so I'm actually not going to cover every little detail of it, because some of those things were covered last week, and if you weren't here and you haven't heard it yet, all of our sermons are podcasted, so you can take a listen if you want. Um, but we remember that God is like a good gardener. This is how it started off last week, examining our lives for fruit, right? And so Jesus reminded us that fruit is the goal, um, and that the branches that stay connected to the true vine, stay connected to Christ, um, these are the things that produce fruit. Only lives that make their home in Jesus are going to produce the kind of fruit that God the gardener is looking for, right? And so we pick up where we left off last week, learning that God is examining our lives, and we get a little bit more detail today, that God is examining our lives for the fruit of love. That's where we're going. And so when I saw that, I was like, well, I'm going to get real for just a second. Like, we know that we're supposed to love each other. We've heard this message a few times before, those of us that have been around in church. Um, and like my concern was that we were going to start hearing the rest of this message, like Charlie Brown hears his teacher, you know, like, blah, 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 love, peace, and joy, you know what I mean? But this is really, this is some important stuff, so hopefully we'll stay with me. So maybe this gets our attention, right? What about uh, the fact that we're, you know, we're supposed to love each other, but the problem is, is how many of us know human beings that aren't all that lovable? Right? That really, frankly, aren't that likable. Right? So how do we deal with this? That ought to get your attention right there. It's easy to love people, but it's easy to love. So I'm talking to my next-door neighbor yesterday, you know, 
And my dog went through a rattlesnake training thing a couple of weeks ago because we live on the mountains. And they get a little jolt of electricity. And the first time he got it, my poor dog jumped like five feet off the ground. Um, and so I was telling my next door neighbor, and we were talking about this yesterday, my next door neighbor's response was, man, I wish they made those for people at my work. <laughs> like, do we not all have those people in our lives that we want to attach one of those collars to? And when they do something, just give them a little jolt and see how high they jump off the ground. You know, like we've all got those people. So for a moment, let's hold those people um, or groups of people that we don't really like all that much. Maybe, maybe it's people that we strongly disagree with. Um, if you're anything like me, when the gardener examines those branches in our lives, like what does the gardener see? So if you're anything like me, right, like the way I thought about this is God probably looks at some of those branches on me and sees them like they're pretty dried up and need to be cut away. That's where we were last week, right? And so to love people that we just imagined in our mind's eye, we're going to need to be able to draw from a well that's far deeper than our own limited capacities. See where we're going here, I hope. Um, And so I thought two of the key words in this passage uh, are as and so. Probably not the two words most people would have chosen. But listen, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It's the same way that God the Father loves Jesus the Son. That's how Jesus loves us, with that same kind of love. And so what does the love look like? What does this love look like? Jesus says what it looks like. This is what he says. He says, no one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what it looks like. Now, any classic rock fans in here? Okay, we've got a couple. All right, so this is for two people, <laughs> all right? Um, we're going to do like a quick battle of the bands to see which classic rock band has the right definition of love and which one has the wrong definition, all right? So hopefully, most of us will probably know these songs. All right, so one of the bands is REO Speedwagon, and one is Boston. So which one of the two bands is going to have the right definition? Any guesses? All right, that's right. All right, good. Perfect, huh? More than a feeling. That's it. Okay, so perfect. So REO Speedwagon song, I can't fight this feeling anymore, right? I'm not going to sing it. Um, Maybe Jeff will sing it for us later. And then Boston comes and they sing, it's more than a feeling. They get it right. Like love isn't this just sentimental feeling that's here one minute and gone the next. Um, It's actually working, and this is maybe my working definition of it. Love is actively working for the best interests of the other even when we don't like them, right? That's what love does. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, this is exactly what he's about to do. Jesus says he's about to lay down his life. He's about to die on behalf of others. And he's here, he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his closest friends, his most intimate friends. But the Bible is really clear about something, that he is going to lay his life down for the whole world, which includes his enemies. And so listen to the depth of God's love in these words of the Apostle Paul from Romans 5, 8 to 10. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is strong language. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And so why would anyone give their life for their enemies. There's only one answer to this. The answer is love, right? Because this is what love actually looks like. 
It's what love actually really does. That's how Jesus has loved us. This is what he says. So now we should start to see the depth of God's love. Many years ago, there was this hospital chaplain, and he told a story of this little girl. Her name was Liz, and she was suffering from this rare, life-threatening disease. And the only way she could uh, be saved was if she had a blood transfusion from her younger brother, who was only five years old. The younger brother had already had the same disease and developed some antibodies, and he had what she needed to live. And so the doctor was like trying to explain the situation to this little kid, um, and he asked the little boy if he's willing to give his blood to save his sister. And the little boy's like, yeah, yeah, if it'll save her, then I'm willing to do it. And so the transfusion progresses, and this kid is laying next to his sister, and his sister starts looking better, and color starts returning to her face during the transfusion. And then the little boy's face actually grows pale, and his little trembly voice, he looks up at the doctor, and he's like, am I going to start to die now? You know? And so he's so young, this little boy had misunderstood the doctor. He thought he was going to have to give his sister all of his blood, right, to save her. And so here's this is a cool example. This little kid willing to give it all for his sister. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And as I was thinking about this, Scripture says that the well of God's, uh, the, the well of God's love is deep enough to cover Jesus' family. It's deep enough to cover his disciples. It's deep enough to cover sinners of every kind, including enemies of God, even those who killed Jesus. It's deep enough for the whole world, right? If God so loved the whole cosmos, is the word in John 3.16, that God gave his only son. And so this is the point, like when I got to here, I was like, this is where I want Jesus to have left the how-to manual, you know, with like pictures, illustrations on how to do this kind of stuff. Like step-by-step instructions for remaining connected to the vine, connected to this deep source of love. And we're not given this kind of manual, but we're given a clue. To abide in God's love, Jesus says, is to keep his commandment to love one another. This is what, exactly what he says. And so to abide in God's love is to keep this commandment to love each other, something that we've already said is easier, it's easier said than done. And so I brought with me, this is my, this, there's a reason my old, this is my, I'm not kidding, probably the most useful thing that I have in my household, besides maybe duct tape, right? Like I use this thing all the time, but you can already see the cracks are forming, there's probably some cracks forming in this thing already, um, because I use this so often. And this was actually the image that came to mind um, when I was thinking about this subject matter, because it represents, to me, when I was thinking about this, I'm like, gosh, I have such a limited capacity to love like Jesus is asking me to love. And this is what I thought about, this little five-gallon container um, that I use around my house all the time. And I think what Jesus is suggesting is that maybe we bring our kind of these containers, these empty buckets, our limited capacities, our finite capacities, we bring this to draw water from God's well. And this is why I said at the beginning, this is one of the reasons that makes our regular corporate worship gatherings so important, right? To connect to Jesus is to somehow connect to, you know, the image of the vine, right? The vine is into the roots, which go into the ground and where the plant draws It's nourishment. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus says, I am the true vine, right? To connect to Jesus is to have our lives filled back up again. And so I want to leave you with a couple more practical ideas of how we actually live into this teaching of Jesus. And the first one is such a strange thing that I'm about to say. 
<laughs> to relax in our belovedness. All right? It sounds a little weird. I'm not going to lie. When I thought about this, but I thought maybe this one might be the most important one. To love better, we're going to have to constantly remind ourselves that God doesn't love us because of our ability to obey the commandments perfectly. This couldn't be more important, right? If this were the case, if God only loved us when we obey perfectly, then we're in trouble abiding. Have a tough time. It's going to be impossible. So we remind ourselves that God's love isn't based on our performance, how, we, how we're doing. That we can't change the fact that we're loved. That there's nothing we can do about it. Even when we don't feel lovable, God still loves. And so we can relax. We can make our home in this love when we remind ourselves that we do not, that we cannot earn God's love and salvation. That grace is freely offered and freely given. And so Jesus has said, he's, Jesus has already laid down his life for the world. And so we actually get to lounge in God's grace and God's goodness, God's love that's all God's initiative and not anything of our doing. And so when we relax in God's love, we get filled up a little bit more and maybe then we actually have something to give away to others. And that's why I think this one may be the most important one. Um, and one of the reasons it makes worship so important, that God fills us up, and this is what we truly believe as a missional church, that God fills us up not just for ourselves. God fills us up and then sends us out, right? That's what we're doing here today. We're filled up here to be sent out into mission as Christ's disciples in the world. And so the second one should make some sense now. It's out of grateful response you know, out of God's love for us that we move outward toward one another, to love each other, right? And so Jesus doesn't call us to love to be a burden. He actually says that his joy will be in us and our joy will be made complete. The joy comes from abiding, from connecting. It comes from this being, this dynamic relationship with Jesus, being connected to the mind. And so bearing fruit, he says, that lasts. These are the things that God produces in us. Um, the things that lead to life. John loves to talk about abundant life, right? These are the things that last. That love is the fruit of this abiding relationship. And so it's a lot easier to do for people we love. That's easy. We know we're supposed to love them. But what about those ones that we thought about a few minutes ago? People that perhaps we genuinely dislike. Can the deep well of God's love fill us up enough to love those people? It's a hard question. So I'm going to offer kind of a final thought here. Difficult people are often hurting people. And the reason I thought about this was I was reading this commentary by Dale Bruner, one of my favorites in John's Gospel, and he actually said, maybe if we can begin to see people differently, we might have a chance at this. Instead of looking at them as difficult, challenging people, he says, well, really difficult people tend to be people that are really hurting. They're really in some pain. Like, and so... This is how, you know, this is how God works. Um, I'm getting used to this now. I don't know if other preachers like Dale getting the beat down with your own sermon. Did that happen to you when you preach? Um, this happened to me this week, and uh, I actually received this email. It got me a little bit fired up because it included the name of someone that I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie. Like, I really, I just don't like this person. That, I can't say that very often. Like, I really like people, you know? Um, but this per one particular individual that's in this email, I really, I have trouble with, a lot of trouble with him. 
And so I was genuinely hoped I would never have to work with this guy or see him again. Right? That's just the truth. And so this idea, the difficult people are often hurting people, actually helped to shape my response. Because uh, I had some possible responses in mind. Like I was thinking about this and like I thought through my potential responses and they ranged from aggressive to passive aggressive. <laughs> like neither one of those two responses would have been very Christ-like, right? And they're actually not my default responses anyway, but this guy brings it out in me, you know? Um, and it really got me kind of fired up. And so I actually ended up choosing a third way. Uh, because Christ laid his life down for all kinds of people, including this particular man. And I had some wise counsel from a few people who said, yeah, that might not be the, <laughs> those, those might not be the right choices. And then you go back and you look at Jesus' word and you say, oh man, maybe there's, a, maybe there's a, a better choice here. And so here's something I learned from this experience. Something that I learned by offering this more loving response. And this more loving response, it's not going to transform this guy's life. I think this is really important. He's not even going to know. He'll never know that I chose a third response. But what I learned was it may not transform his life, but there will be one heart that will be softened by this response. Right? There will be one heart that's shaped, that's conformed just a little bit more into the image of Christ's heart. And that's this one. So that's what this stuff does that heart belongs to me. And so it means that I'm actually, I've gained capacity, right? I improved a little bit with age, like I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> it reminds me that although this is difficult, it's not impossible. Uh, responding to challenging people is not impossible. And so here is maybe my favorite part of this teaching. Jesus says to those who do what he commands, who does, what does he call them? Anybody remember the word? He calls them as what? His friends. It's the best part of the teaching. Doing what Jesus commands is to live our lives based on our reading and reflection of the scriptures, particularly the words of Jesus himself, to learn to see the world through the lens of scripture and then to choose Christ's way over your own way, Right? This is what I was trying to do. It was hard for me. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. Um, but I did it. We'll see if I can keep it up. Just last week, there was a guy, a friend of mine, Bo Womack, a few of you know him. And he was before the Presbytery, which is kind of the regional body of the Presbyterian Church. Um, he was examined by all these pastors and big shot people. And they were trying to ask him really tough questions. And they asked him a question about communion. So I'm so glad that this is a communion Sunday for us. I think it fits perfectly with this message, and they were asking him about communion and about, you know, who he would serve communion to, right? It's an important question. And Bo said, well, he's like, who did Jesus serve communion to? And everyone kind of was like caught off guard. He's like, well, Jesus served communion to Peter. Peter was a denier, you know, and Jesus knows this. Who else did he serve communion to? Who else was there that night? Judas. Judas. Christ serves communion, the first communion, to a denier and a betrayer. And so this guy, Bo, stands up in front of all these pastors, and he's like, and he's like, look, if I can take communion, anybody can. You know? And I'm like, it's no truer thing has ever been said. I mean, that's perfect. Um, but I don't know, this, this got me thinking, um, maybe seeing difficult people as hurting people can actually give us more heart. Maybe it can give us more capacity to love. Because if we can believe God's love for us, then maybe we can practice it better for others. 
Divine love is available to all of us. This is what this passage is, this abiding stuff. It's beneath us, it's within us, it's all around us. All the time, it's as close to us as our next breath. If only Jesus says we would stick with him, abide in him, the true vine. And so may you relax in that love. May you, in grateful response, may you draw from that well of God's divine love so that your life will produce more fruit, the fruit of love that changes the world one life at a time and perhaps beginning with your own. Will you pray with me? God, your love is beyond our full comprehension. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us while we were still sinners, enemies even. And what a blessing, Lord, that you would call us your friends. For that, we're truly grateful. Holy Spirit, we ask for more capacity to love others out of a grateful response to your grace. Fill us up, God, and send us out as your church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.